Welcome to Faith and Science. I'm Dr. John Ashton. I was talking with a friend uh, the other day about a new fossil uh, that had been discovered or was uh, had, had, was talked being talked about in the in the media anyway. And this was uh, the remains of a fairly large mammal that was found in the same strata as dinosaurs. And uh, some of the comment uh, commentaries that were appearing in the media were very surprised that um, a mammal was found with the, the dinosaurs. And the, of course, there were lots, lots of mammal fossils have been found in the same uh, strata as dinosaurs. Matter of fact, over 430 different mammal species of different types of mammals have been found with uh, dinosaurs, living with the, the dinosaurs. Matter of fact, most of the, the major, well, I think all the major phyla that are, that are alive on Earth today, we find examples of those types of creatures and plants as living at the same time as the dinosaurs. We find them in the same, uh, buried in the same strata. But one of the things that uh, point came out was that this obviously isn't made widely available to the public and hence the surprise of, of scientists and science commentators that this um, fossil which was found in Madagascar, I think it's, uh, the name they've given it is uh, Crazy Beast because it's uh, quite an unusual mammal, uh, was found at that time. And as I was talking... Uh, with our friend, he was saying, look, the first uh, examples of this uh, particular species of mammal were found back in 1999. Why, you know, why has it taken till now, you know, more than 20 years uh, to uh, report this uh, finding? You know, are these things being, um, you know, uh, deliberately kept from people's... Uh, you know, knowledge that the mammals were alive during the dinosaur period. And, of course, you know, I commented, well, we can't really, you know, judge what the, what the motives are. It's just the way science works. But I think what it illustrated to me that there is so much evidence for the Bible account. There is so much evidence for the existence of God but it's really being kept from young people. It's being kept from uh, out of the education system and people are being denied the overwhelming evidence we have that there is a real creator God. And one of the, uh, it reminded me of the time of um, some work that I've read and I think I've talked about on earlier programs that, uh, Dr. Carl Werner, a uh, biologist who was also a, uh, a physician, uh, decided to make a study of, um, uh, of displays in museums. And he noted that in all the museums that he went to, there, where they had displays of dinosaur remains, they did not show mammals in the same, uh, living at the same time. Um, and so it was as if the mammals evolved later. And, and so this is the whole picture, of course, in the theory of evolution, that 
the mammals evolved later, whereas we know that they at the same time. In fact, I think I've, I've talked about earlier as well, um, a few years ago when I was in Hawaii and visited the, um, the museum uh, there in Honolulu, the, the science museum there, there was actually a display at the time that showed the fossil of a mammal that had eaten a small dinosaur. And the, 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 the small dinosaur uh, was in the, you know, the gut of the, um, of the mammal. So the that had eaten it. So this um, this misinformation um, just totally dominates, uh, as I've just said, the education system. And it made me think too of, uh, for example, the, the University of New South Wales, where they had been running this survey since the 1970s, uh, where they ask uh, students, you know, do they believe in that uh, there was an intelligence behind life or did life you know evolve from random processes and the back in the 70s a much higher percentage of students believed in god and believed in a um, a, a creator that there was a god behind uh, life on earth and all the different um, living organisms that we have and this uh, but the number of students had greatly reduced by the time uh, the mid 2015 you know, 16 era, the number of students believing in that had declined. And they were, you know, the conclusion of the paper was that the teaching of evolution in our schools here in Australia has been highly successful in teaching people away from God. Another thing, though, that I think is being left out of the education system of the young people is that. The great scientists, many of the great scientists that laid the foundations for modern science today were, in fact, very strong believers in the Bible and very strong believers in uh, a creator that must have designed the complexity of nature and the laws of physics and, and chemistry. In fact, uh, back in the... Uh, 1860s, after Darwin published his book on the origin of species, and this was a new scientific treatise that was that had been put out there. Lyle had put out his principles of geology and claimed that the Earth was you know, millions of years old, and has essentially set out this concept of a geological column. And then in 1859, of course, Darwin published his Origin of Species, which proposed that mutations had occurred and over a long period of time these mutations had occurred and resulted in new had um, uh, mounted um, until new surviving species um, were formed so some mutations some mutations produced advantages he claimed some disadvantages and the ones with advantages were able to hang around and be reproduced and eventually there were sufficient mutations to cause the formation of a totally new species and that this explained all the different types of species that we have. Now, this was a mechanical model. This was a mechanical model for biologists for uh, that they could join the ranks of physics and chemistry and, and so forth that were made, and engineering that were making great advances on the basis of the laws of mechanics, that there were these laws 
that uh, control things, the mechanical worldview, this mechanical model, the laws of physics and gravity and, and so forth, momentum and inertia, all these uh, things, the design of steam engines. Um, and the, uh, at this time, of course, uh, engines were being improved at a very rapid rate. They were evolving. And so in the early 1860s, this, um, this whole new concept had totally flooded the academia. Um, it was an effect, I guess, sort of like the development of computing um, and semiconductors that enabled the uh, development of small computers just totally revolutionised uh, the way we do computing and the capacity for us to analyse data and process data just exploded when that happened. And so this whole idea of knowledge on the basis that Darwin had this theory now that could explain biology and life. But what, again, the students aren't taught is that back in 1864, 717 scientists signed a manifesto, a manifesto entitled The Declaration of Students of the Natural and Physical Sciences. And this declaration affirmed the confidence in the scientific integrity of the Holy Scriptures. And there were 86 fellows of the Royal Society that signed um, that statement. As I said, 717 scientists signed this statement that essentially they believe there was so much evidence for design in nature that um, it affirmed a creator, not some uh, random knowledge. One of the random uh, creation based on mutations or random evolution based on uh, mutations. One of those fellows, of course, was James Jewell, um, who was the really prominent scientist who essentially um, really developed a, a, and discovered um, and formulated a whole of the laws of heat and energy that uh, we use today. Matter of fact, the joule, named after him, is the unit of energy in the in the metric system. And it's interesting that um, in a uh, that uh, joule wrote that um, after the knowledge of and obedience to the will of God, the next aim must be to know something of His attributes of wisdom, power, and goodness as evidenced by his handiwork. So, again, here we have this great scientist, uh, Jewel, um, who, you know, uh, really um, led, uh, discovered a whole lot of the uh, things, the kinetic uh, theory of gases, and, of course, he worked with that with James Clark Maxwell. And I've talked before, Maxwell, of course, was a, the brilliant scientists that um, discovered that uh, life is a combination of electric and magnetic fields and developed a whole lot of the field theory, brilliant mathematician, and a very, very strong opponent of the, the theory of evolution at that um, time. You know, uh, another scientist at that time that um, opposed evolution was Louis Pasteur. Um, one of the uh, ones, again, who really uh, developed a whole branch of uh, 
biology. Um, and, um, you know, um, helped uh, develop the, uh, the germ theory, um, helped uh, develop the, um, uh, the battle against rabies. And again, he had a, a tremendous uh, Christian uh, uh, faith again. And you see, he saw that science brings man nearer to God. Um, he was, uh, that's um, a, another statement that Pasteur made was that uh, the more I study nature, the more I stand amazed at the work of the Creator. Now, I guess as um, you know, scientists in, and students today in their biology classes, and they learn about the work of uh, Pasteur. And of course, we have uh, the Pasteur Institute was established in Paris. It's a world famous uh, research institute uh, now. I wonder if they're taught again that, um, again, Pasteur viewed science as the work of the creator and creation around um, this man that was one of the world leaders in terms of you know, combating in infections and so forth. Um, he was, Pasteur of course, was strongly opposed to uh, Darwinism. And it's interesting that these, these scientists that were, saw the major problems with Darwinism and saw the overwhelming evidence for God in there as creator made these amazing discoveries. And yet we have people like Bill Nye, the science guy, this American science uh, commentator, that essentially saying, look, you know, if we teach children about, uh, and young people about creation, it's going to limit science. You know, it's going to limit uh, the growth of science, and limit their knowledge and all this sort of thing. We can see this is just total and utter rubbish. Um, we have, uh, as I said, these scientists that were, were great Christians are the ones that made these great um, developments in science. Um, another one that I think of that, again, lived at that time um, was William Thompson. Um, perhaps he's really, or commonly referred to as uh, Lord uh, Kelvin. And... Um, he was um, the uh, son of a professor of mathematics at the University of um, uh, Glasgow, uh, Professor James Glasgow, uh, um, uh, yeah, great James uh, Thompson. And uh, but um, Thompson studied under the uh, French uh, mathematician uh, Jean Baptiste Fourier. Now, Fourier had applied advanced mathematics uh, to explain the flow of heat through solid objects. Um, and while um, at the time a lot of the uh, science, particularly British scientists, rejected Fourier's work, um, William Thompson saw the application and he saw where it could be taken further and applied the, um, the same mathematics actually to the flow of electricity and the motion of fluids. So um, this was um, quite a breakthrough for Thompson. And of course, for those uh, of us familiar with uh, mathematics, um, 
with name Fourier comes up with Fourier transform and Fourier transforms in the area of advanced mathematics. And of course, this um, these mathematics have applied in the area of chemistry too, in the area of infrared uh, spectroscopy. So we have uh, uh, Fourier transform infrared spectroscopy, uh, known as FTIR. And uh, Thompson went on to become professor of physics at the University of Glasgow when he was only 22 years of age, and he held that position for 53 years. And um, Thompson, of course, uh, uh, worked on further developed the work of uh, Joule. Uh, of course, uh, Joule, um, his work, uh, you know, we recognise as the first law of uh, thermodynamics which essentially states that energy can neither be created nor destroyed. It can only be changed from one form of another. And one of the important aspects of this law is, that has never been disproved, is that this law essentially teaches quite conclusively that the universe did not create itself. The the present structure, what we observe in the universe at the present time, is one of conservation, not innovation, as would be required for the theory of evolution. So evolutionists can't explain how this constant amount of energy matter originated. But the Bible provides an explanation. Only God can create things out of nothing. So here we have, again, this first law of thermodynamics that energy and uh, matter can, is, is constant and fixed. Um, it, uh, and that's the, uh, the conservation of energy. That energy cannot be created or destroyed. It can be changed from one form to another. It can be changed into matter and that can be changed into energy. But it cannot, new energy of itself cannot be created. And um, one of the things is that uh, Thompson, of course, recognised that, uh, was one of the really ones that um, worked on this and developed uh, the uh, Jules work. And, of course, that led to Thompson's version of the second law of uh, thermodynamics. And, of course, this is uh, also called the law of energy decay, and it's universal principles of this law indicate that all systems, in the absence of prior programming or intelligent um, redirected effort, tend to move from order to disorder. So, again, and so this is the second law of thermodynamics, which shows that, as taken as a whole, the universe is relentlessly proceeding in a downward direction towards decreasing organisation. When we look at evolution, however, evolution directly opposes this whole concept of the second law of thermodynamics. In that what it's showing is that random things, the disorder is becoming more ordered in other words, we start off with um, no creatures and just you know, randomness in nature, and then suddenly, or well, not suddenly, but over a period of time, we have highly organised systems develop, which we call plants. We have highly organised systems 
developed, which we call insects or you know animals, different types of animals and birds. These are all, according to theory of evolution, have come about by ordering things together. You know, you, when you look at the system in an insect, it is highly ordered, highly structured. There are all these chemical reactions that fit together, that run perfectly, the structure of the animal is composed. And yet what's it composed of? It's composed of atoms, of molecules. Now, in nature, these atoms and molecules are just, you know, the resources that are in the soil or, or, or whatever, they're, they're just the minerals. So when we have living matter, supposedly, according to evolution, formed from these non-living things, and then this living matter, whatever the first cell was, according to evolution, then they don't really know, um, somehow organises itself to become more and more complex. This is totally opposed to that second law of thermodynamics. And um, it was, um, of course, the evolutionary biologist, Sir Julian Huxley, um, and um, essentially had to oppose that and you know, claimed that evolution actually defied that and produced an increased level of organisation. And so here we see that the whole theory of evolution defies and defies in the face of and contradicts the second law of thermodynamics. Essentially what it says is that the total energy of the universe has, so far as known, remained unchanged, but the available energy is continually decreasing. And these laws that were developed by Joule and Thompson, both very, very strong creationists, are perfectly consistent with the biblical account of creation by God at a time in the past and followed by gradual degeneration into disorder as talked about in uh, Romans 8.21, it talks about um, you know, creation and growing. And here we again see the um, very strong opposition to evolution. Of course, um, uh, some of these uh, work of Jewell and Thompson working together led to the absolute temperature scale, where we run down to uh, absolute zero in temperature, absolute no heat, minus 273 degrees approximately, uh, below zero on the centigrade scale. So, you know, these were scientists that led to the discovery of these found really strong foundation principles of science that we build today. And again, they were strong Bible-believing uh, Christians that opposed Darwin's theory, opposed evolution. Um, Thompson, of course, was also a strong opponent of uh, Charles Lyell's uniformitarian geology. And, uh, of course, uniformitarianism is the idea that uh, the geological formation is a result of ordinary forces acting over a really, really long period of time. Matter of fact, in 1865, this was um, um, around the um, time that the manifesto was published, Thompson also published a paper titled The Doctrine of Uniformity in Geology, Briefly Refuted. 
So Thompson's objections to both uniformitarianism and evolution were based on scientific grounds. And um, he, uh, Thompson stated, the commencement of life on Earth certainly did not take place by any action of chemistry or electricity or crystalline grouping of molecules. We must pause face to face with the mystery and miracle of creation of living uh, uh, creatures. Um, and he actually publicly debated the scientific evidence against uniformitarianism and evolution. He debated with uh, Thomas Huxley. And um, uh, of course, again, Thompson proposed that the Earth cannot be, you know, have billions of years old because even if it formed as a molten blob, it would have cooled down. Um, uh, to a much lower temperature than it is now. And so it can't be, you know, that that age. Now, since that time, of course, with the discovery of radioactivity, scientists have um, argued that maybe, you know, there's uh, radioactive sources that are, keep, uh, that are currently generating heat. But, of course, it's actually still an area that is just hotly uh, debated and some people... Um, you know, attempt to discredit uh, Thompson over some of these calculations. But we need to remember that he and Jewel's creationists laid those fundamental principles that we use every day in the design of engines and motors and all these sort of things uh, today. I think that, uh, you know, these scientists and, um, and the fact that so many scientists back at Darwin's time, opposed Darwin, publicly opposed Darwin, put their name to the, uh, the manifesto at the time, and I'll just read again, that it's published in 1964, the Declaration of Students of the Natural and Physical Scientists, 717 scientists, including 86 fellows of the, the Royal Society. Because we, we get the, well, I get the impression as is taught in the textbooks, that you know, Darwin's theory just you know, swept, swept through and that all the scientists you know, agree. But so many of the scientists were opposed to it. But I think slowly but steadily, the concept of atheism, the atheistic principles, that just slowly crept into our education system under the guise that we have to keep religion or faith separate from science. That science is just something we base on observations. Um, God is a personal matter. We need to keep that out. And using that as a cover, the education system has very, in my view, very cunningly educationalists have kept God out of the classroom. But this is, in my view, done great disservice to the progress of science and to the overwhelm and complete education of our students. When we look at the evidence we have today, there is overwhelming evidence for a creator, a creator of this universe, a creator of life on this earth. And the Bible reveals that that creator was Jesus Christ, God himself who came to live among us to show what he was really like. 
Remember, if you want to re-listen to these programs, Faith in Science, Google 3ABN Australia, or one word, .org.au, and click on the Listen button. I hope you found this program helpful. I'm Dr. John Ashton. Have a great day. You've been listening to a production of 3ABN Australia Radio.